0: Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Hello and welcome to From the Furrow, brought to you by Everag Insights. Each week we speak with subject matter experts on news and topics affecting the grain markets. I'm your host, Britt O'Connell. Today is Monday, February 13th. Just a friendly reminder for any of you who haven't gotten your significant other a Valentine's gift. We still have time. Today March corn is down a penny and a quarter, trading six seventy-nine and a quarter, and March soybeans are down a penny and a quarter, trading fifteen forty-one and a quarter. This week we've got Jenny Wackershauser joining us. Jenny is the Swiss Army knife of the Everag world, working with producers managing risk within our feed division, within our grain division, and also with some dairymen managing milk risk. Welcome to the show this morning, Jenny. Thanks, Britt. Glad to be here. Well, Jenny, today we're going to spend some time talking about the U.S. soybean crush market. You spent some time prior to your time here at EverAg working in the feed byproducts world. And so you've become very familiar with the soybean meal market in particular. But it's really the soybean oil market that has upended, if you will, the norm of the soybean crush. Historically, soybean crushers would always crush soybeans for the bean meal, the protein that they got on the backside. And the oil was almost somewhat of a residual product that they just figured out what to do with. That's changed. Now, soybean crushers are really crushing soybeans for the oil. Certainly, they still appreciate uh, the revenue generated from the meal, but oil's been where it's at, Jenny. Help us understand the transition that the industry has gone through in the last couple of years, and where has that kind of started? Well,
1: you're correct on that. Traditionally, the oil side of the market had been a more stagnant, flat market because it was a food industry. You'd be surprised how many foods have soy oil in some form in it but it was generally a flat market in usage. So we tended to see that price really stay in a 25 to 45 cents per pound range. It didn't move dramatically. And so a lot of times, and traditionally when we saw soybeans move, meal was the profit center within the crush. So the large crushers, the large corporations in this country who manage most of those companies, for them to be able to pay $15 for soybeans to the U.S. farmer, they had to justify that price with one of the products. Well, if you can't get oil to move much, that meal takes up the brunt of that move. And as we've moved into the last two or three years and this rally In corn and soybeans, a lot of that has been driven by the fact that soy diesel and specifically renewable diesel has become a much hotter commodity within that world of the renewable fuels conversation. It's taken over some of the interest from ethanol. We're seeing the oil industry has taken on more interest within that and infrastructure growth within that. They're able to reuse some of their refineries put it into soy diesel production. We're seeing that the soy diesel itself, the renewable diesel versus the traditional fame soy diesel is more interchangeable with regular petroleum diesel. So that is seen as a large growth. And especially when you look at the path we're going in this country about electric vehicles versus diesel, you can't really run a lot of commercial grade vehicles on electric as well as you can a gasoline car. So long term, you're seeing a much more interest get put into the diesel side of that conversation than necessarily the gasoline side. So as we've seen that, that has taken some of that pressure off meal. We've seen that reflected in the volatility. Until the last few weeks, I think, honestly, as we've seen the EPA come out with their announcement in December of a lower than expected blending requirement for the soy diesel side of the picture. You saw that reflected quite quickly in soy oil and meal took off basically $100 a ton since that announcement.
0: So are you saying there's somewhat of an inverse relationship between the price of soybean oil and soybean meal as these crushers are not able to extract as much premium out of soybean oil, then that caused the the
1: soybean meal market to move higher? Correct. So we saw, we're sitting this morning for, and again, not a lot of folks probably in our audience look at the price of soy oil regularly. So we're sitting this morning at 60 cents per pound, $60 per hundredweight. And that is about as low as we've traded in two years. Basically since the start of the rally last winter. When we broke through that number, we have not visited down here only a couple times. We've pushed through over $80 per hundredweight or 80 cents per pound. So we're looking at the low side of recent ranges, which also puts us soybean meal at the high side of recent ranges, because as we have probably talked about to death in our grain analysis this winter, soybeans is actually fairly range bound. We're at the high side of that range, but it's been fairly range bound. So When we look at a fairly flat soybean market, soybean meal is pushed back now towards its highest over $500 a ton this morning.
0: Soybean oil falls under that veg oil category, which is a very global market. There's a lot of big players in that market and a lot of changes have happened in the last couple of years that have impacted the global supply of vegetable oils into the world market. What are a few of those big moves that have happened
1: and and kind of how has that market started to to play out? So within the food side of the sector, when we talk about that soy oil is was always very flat and very um, non liquid, maybe is a good use of the word. Part of that is the competition for between other fats, palm oil specifically, um, Malaysia and um, a lot of Indonesian country. That area of the world produces most of our palm, and it's a industry where they can do it cheaply. And so traditionally, that is the cheap market maker in the world. And that is what soy oil competes with in the food side of things. We also see sunflower oil, linseed oil is used in the industrial side, but flax oil, um, canola oil, all of those factor into this as a direct competitor. All of those prices work off each other in the global market. And so when we look at some factors that have affected supply in that world, we had a drought go through the largest canola growing areas a year and a half ago with the plains of Canada down into the Dakotas. Um, We had a war in Ukraine and Russia. Ukraine is the world's largest producer of sunflowers. And sunflower oil and sunflower meal. They have had a significant decrease in production. Prior to the war, their production was 17.5 million metric tons. And they are traditionally one third of the world's sunflower oil production. Since the war this year, they are estimated to only produce 4.3 million metric tons. Oh, wow. That is a massive pullback. So when you look at that to Within that global market, something else has to fill that gap within the nutritional factor, the human food side of things, of where that sunflower oil is getting utilized. So you're going to see canola oil come into that. You're going to see soy oil. So when you look at that side of that balance sheet, at the same time, palm oil is getting a lot of pushback on the environmental side. It is very much looked at as a deforestation crop there's worries about humanitarian with the workers who do it. So you're seeing some pushback in many countries from the government and environmental side a push to use less palm oil. So that again puts those buyers into a market of looking at canola or sunflower or soy oil. So it's been a very dynamic and changing market that has put a lot more volatility into that soy oil side than what we traditionally have seen and that has for our livestock producers in this country, taking some of that volatility out of their soybean meal in what traditionally probably would have held well over $500 for the last two years. We've seen some looks at sub 400 a few times.
0: It sounds like it's almost been a perfect storm, if you will, in the soybean oil complex, whereas we've seen depressed availability globally of the product as well as heightened demand globally and, and specifically domestically. Let's go back to that domestic demand. You you mentioned sustainable diesel. There's been a lot of talk about new sustainable diesel plants and new capacity coming online. What is the plan right now laid before us for adding additional growth
1: capacity there? As I was kind of prepping for this and we looked in and some of your past guests have been some really good resources for us, right now there has been announced 23 new plants to process basically crush plants in the U S and traditionally most of the crush has taken place in we'll call it Minnesota, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana. There's a couple here and there outside of that, but that has been the core areas for production. So most of that. Goes into that, like the dairy industry in the Midwest. It gets loaded on there at key rail sites that it can head out west into the dairy areas out west, or to the southeast to the chicken and hog operations. Because again, key users: soybean meal, dairy, swine, chickens. Outside of that, not a lot of use, not a lot of need. Those are our key market for utilizing soybean meal. Um, what we're seeing within this growth is we're starting to see. A little bit farther north, a little bit farther west, some Dakota plants, you're seeing a little more Nebraska, Kansas area. So it should also help long term on the volatility for what we always like to have that basis conversation with our, with our dairymen, especially in the feed side. If we can move plants into the heavier rail, taking some of the pressure off of export soybean basis for the sellers, adding another buyer into their market, That also shortens that rail run to a dairyman out west. Long term, this will help, take more of that volatility, more of that basis risk off of the plate of the dairyman because we're going to see a shift more to an Argentinian type production. We're going to be utilizing, I think the numbers show we can increase if all of those plants that have been announced come online, that's an increase of 25 to 35% capacity for crushing, which, as we've talked about a few times in the U.S., currently we're about 50-50, 50% 50 crush, 50% export. So now we're looking at changing that to a two-thirds crush somewhere in that neighborhood. That is putting an abundance of soybean meal into a market that ultimately we don't change the number of animals that drastically year over year. So if we're not adding a lot more consumers, as in our pigs, our cows, our chickens, you see and more abundance. So we're going to start probably exporting meal over soybeans. We're going to see that market shift a little bit in the dynamics. And all the more that basis conversation will come in on what is international freight doing? What is the U.S. dollar doing? What is our current trade agreements with China doing because they're going to be our next biggest customer then on the soybean meal side.
0: So what does all this potentially ha- how does all of this potentially impact the price of soybeans? This whole discussion doesn't exist without it all starting at the soybean level, if you will. So for producers who are growing soybeans, how could this potentially change the
1: pricing setup for them? Or what does that prospect look like? Ultimately, it should be a benefit as they're going to have more buyers. When you look at a market where if you're a North Dakota producer who puts beans in their rotation currently about your only outlet is either truck it into Fargo, North Dakota for that crush plant or load it on a rail car and send it to the Pacific Northwest for export. So your basis should improve if you can add a couple more buyers. It should ultimately make that conversation every year very more dynamic about corn versus soybeans when we start to talk that acres conversation which we're coming up upon here in the next month is we tend to default to corn in this country have traditionally always that's been number 1 rotation dictates putting soybeans but if you talk to most farmers their preference is corn they feel more confident in growing corn they have a steadier yield on corn than what soybeans can be much more volatile. So what you're gonna see, I think, is an advantage for the US farmer, and but that conversation where we talk about, okay, soybean meal may be cheaper, corn might become a very different conversation as far as where that comes in, where we we generally have it everywhere, because usually we don't have a poor growing season across the entire upper Midwest for not since probably 88 have we had a, yeah, large crop loss. 2012 would be the next one. So it it will make that conversation different about acres for corn, acres for soybeans. If we start shifting and if we add this much more capacity, that's that many more acres that we can go into soybeans versus corn. Wonderful. Well, Jenny, thank you
0: for joining us today. It was a pleasure chatting with you as always. Appreciate your insights and breaking down some of the changing dynamics in the U.S. soy crush market. If you've enjoyed listening to From the Furrow, subscribe to our podcast, share it with a friend, or give us a review. Thank you to Corey Romero, our producer, and Paige Driscoll for mixing and mastering today's show.